0: Welcome to Meet Me Backstage. This is the podcast that celebrates the talented and inspiring people who work behind the scenes in the music industry all around the world. Meet the backstage stars who make the magic happen before the beat drops. Meet Me Backstage.
1: Welcome to Meet Me Backstage with me, Nikki. This week, I'm going to chat to one of my peers, someone who has inspired me and helped me in my career, and also someone I have learned so much from, kind of like an unofficial mentor, I guess. You never know when these people will come into your life or your career, but when they do, you should definitely cherish them as their knowledge, experience, and industry insights will be hugely valuable, and the friendship and support is also priceless. I feel lucky in my work that I have such a broad range of people who are my colleagues and have also become friends. You never know who you could end up talking to at an event and what amazing insights and knowledge they may have. And those who I've become closest to have always been the people I'd least expect. I hope that my chat with Rude will highlight that learning from your peers can not only be a great way to improve your knowledge, but you will also have a lot of fun and make friends along the way. My social media is full of photos of us clowning around together at events we have worked on, and long may that continue. Okay then, so let's get this started, and welcome Rude. Thanks for joining me today.
0: Thank you, Nikki. Pleasure.
1: (laughs) Got my radio voice on there. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So I was trying to think, God, we've known each other for so long. Can you remember when we first met and where?
0: No, I really tried to figure that out, but I don't know anymore. I think it must be. Did you start working for ADE or for us for Eurosonic?
1: Yeah, I worked with ADE before. And then I remember Richard saying, Nikki, there's this other event. You've got to see it. And then he took me to see Eurosonic. And then I worked with Eurosonic as well. So it must have been either ADE that or that Eurosonic. Been,
0: yeah, that, I mean, boomer, boomer culture in those days was organizing both, or at least part of it Amsterdam Dance and the whole thing. And conference and international part for Eurosonic, And uh, I was freelancing for Boomer Culture. I'm actually working on both the events as well. Uh, And I think that must, must be where we met. I can't get my finger on the actual first moment or whatever.
1: I definitely remember seeing you with Alan McGowan in the the bar at the Felix Meritus, at the famous Felix Meritus. So uh, that's definitely one one meeting that stands out in my mind with you two together, but I'm sure it was uh, definitely somewhere in Holland. So now we've kind of clarified where we've met. Um, I I, I wanted to kind of dig deeper a little bit into your career because obviously we've had lots of different conversations over the years, hung out in lots of amazing, fun places. Um, I've always been really fascinated by the things you've done in your career and I love listening to your stories and learning from you. And I think other people would probably really enjoy those insights too. So I'd love to know, how did it all start for you? How did you get into the industry?
0: Well, I finished my high school, then I sort of went into, well, totally into music, obviously. Um, and also like in, you know, occupying houses and, uh, you know, discovered punk and become a squatter. So at a certain point, I was living in a small town in the east part of Holland called Südfen and we squatted some houses and there was nothing to do, there were no youth centers or clubs or whatever. So at a certain point, we, we squatted one and renovated the building, talked to the government, got a bar in, licensing, a little bit of money from the local government. And, you know, we did everything, stand behind the bar, be the DJ, book be the bands, clean the toilets and be the bouncer. So I think that's, that's where it all started. You know, we had a really strong music scene and we, we you know, as I was booking the bands in that venue, um, and my brother was booking the bands in, a, in another venue in a, in a town called Nijmegen, where I live now. We started in a, at a certain point. Nobody was bringing the bands we liked. So we started, we thought like, okay, then we bring them ourselves. And okay. that's basically how my whole slowly, slowly booking career and booking agency uh, story started.
1: And how old were you then when you started doing that?
0: Oh, well, um, I would say early 20s.
1: Okay. That's amazing. Like it's kind of like an old school DIY setup where you kind oh, of totally. like, well, yeah, this isn't happening in my town. I'm going to do it. So that's amazing.
0: Yeah. yeah. It was just like a, you know, a follow up on that. Uh, oh, well, nobody else is, no, oh, well, let's well, try see what happens. And, and that went a little bit out of control and, um, uh, took almost 20 years of my life. And, uh, you know, before we knew it, we had 10, 10 people. Then before we knew it, we had 15 people working. We did everything, you know, like uh, backline flights, uh, the whole tour booking, the whole crew, transports, uh, merch, tour accounts, the whole shit.
1: And that was you know, with that, the agency. So you, know, you af- after doing your own nights, you then went on to set up the agency.
0: I yeah. so sort of slowly merged from the one into the other. At a certain point, I did everything at the same time, which was obviously a little bit too much. So I had to make had to make a decision at a certain point. And uh, so, yeah, I went full-time for uh, uh, booking bands on a European and international level. Yeah.
1: yeah, I guess you have to be a jack-of-all-trades. So I suppose in your route into the industry, you've done a bit of everything. So you've got knowledge of all the different aspects.
0: Well... Yeah, I think you can say that not really like expert knowledge, but, you know, a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, being a tour manager, be an agent, be a national promoter, local promoter. And uh, yeah, that took me into 2000. And then I took took some time off, left the agency business because it all changed and started uh, my second half of my career career. Uh, more or less like in the uh, events and festival organizational world, more than government, governmental politics, politics, uh, export offices, uh, obviously Boomer Culture, where I started my second career as a as a freelancer. And I'm still I'm a freelancer, not for Boomer Culture anymore, but now for Eurosonic and for some other events like IFF, West Bay Lab, uh, East European Music Conference and some other stuff.
1: I feel it would be easier to ask you what you haven't done because you've done so much.
0: <laughs> I haven't been a label, haven't been a manager, although I have been a manager, but not worth mentioning. <laughs> uh, I haven't been a publisher. I, haven't been, uh, oh, I did international promotion, of course, yes. And I did sales, yes.
1: There you go. Well, there's still time to kind of tick off some of the other things you haven't done. No, no. <laughs> So tell me about some of the artists you worked with them. I know you had an impressive roster at your agency.
0: Yeah, oh, I, you know, like, uh, I mean, I like I or I mention them all, but it, it mainly comes down to to. Uh, I obviously, was uh, lucky to be involved in the whole. Uh, what I think best period, uh, you know, eighties, nineties, mid eighties, mid mid nineties, the whole grunge, the indie, the that was such an awesome time to to be involved in the music industry and uh we were never like really into the commercial part of it we did, we, we just did the bands we really loved and uh that was awesome and uh, of course you can name dropping uh the nirvana the sound gardens uh though, you know I, I love those bands but if you really you know i was the agent and the tour manager for the feelies which is one of the bands i love dearly but uh, yeah so many styles and Kuti, Atari Teenage Riots, uh, Soul Asylum. Uh, oh, the list is endless Dead Moon, Motor Psycho, uh, Babes in Toilers, L7, Efken Wigs. Um, I don't know. Do you want a whole list?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's amazing. Nobody, I know you're always so humble about your achievements, but it's lovely to hear you know, the full list of kind of things that you actually worked on because you don't normally say these things to people. So it's nice no. to kind of get it out of you. should be proud of those things i mean um is there any particular show that stood out to you or event that you worked on that you can remember
0: well dead moon life was and is always amazing and uh, i mean eddie feathers still talks about dead moon as being one of the most amazing acts he ever ever saw and i don't agree with him but uh, any motorcycle show is uh extremely special but Audience-wise and audience direction-wise, I think it was Matane reading with forty thousand people going up and down, and 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 I mean the ground was shaking, moving. It was that was something else.
1: The moments we So live many for. shows.
0: I mean, yeah, I, I did about thousand shows a year for a long period. So you know, that's amazing. Hard to say which one?
1: So you traveled a lot with work as well, then?
0: Yeah, yeah especially like if you do the stupid combination of tour management and being a European agent, which I strongly advise not to repeat.
1: (laughs) 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 Well, you must have some amazing stories from those days. So how did you juggle being, you know, the agent and being the tour manager, doing those things and uh, getting things done on the road?
0: Well, you have to understand it was a time that, we, you know, uh, no no mobile phones. It was the early days of faxes and... uh, you just called the office every now and then from being on the road and you had to stop at the gas station to to get to a phone and uh, basically you needed to have all, all, all the info in before you left and uh, you know advance obviously from on the road but that you do from the venue where you are for the days after just you know be very organized and be, uh, be also be very extremely flexible yeah
1: So you had your little black book of contacts for whatever city you were traveling to so you could uh, fix any situation that you needed to that came up.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had to, yeah.
1: So there must have been some funny stories or situations that you've ended up in on tour on the tour bus. So anything in particular that's happened that you've had to get out of a tricky situation or anything?
0: Well, I can't go too much into details with certain uh, (laughs) stories, but let's say... uh, you know, uh Solzheim and Mathani in a hotel in Munich is a worthwhile story. Let's let's put it this way that the hotel never uh, allowed bands back in their hotel. Um <laughs> also um, you know, um Matt Honey was an interesting act. Uh, we had some Beast of Bourbon, uh, Rock Palace recordings in uh, in Germany. That was another cool story. But also I worked with Andre Williamson. And, I mean that man was wild. Um I can't go into details, but what happened in that tour bus, I'd probably better state in that tour bus. It's <laughs> the same. <laughs> Fast were very, very popular uh, uh, act as well and on the road. And that was, to, you know, that was uh, also um, the guys in that band were very loved by the ladies. So that was really interesting and a challenge to be a tour manager of that.
1: <laughs> Have to get them all off the tour bus before you leave to the next city. <sighs> <laughs> Must have been a, a big challenge to kind of do those things, but also fun as well.
0: Yeah. And I think like, you know, one of the, 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 the stories we all remember and, and, and sort of cherish and are proud of partly is, is you know, Nirvana with uh, with Honey with, with and with Ted in Yastoria in London and the whole sub-pop team and the Glitter House team were there. Everybody was there and everybody got drunk and stays diving and... Uh, that was an, uh, an interesting evening. We still have some photos popping up and nobody really knows or remembers.
1: <laughs> you definitely need to send me some of
0: those photos. We I'm need having... those photos to bring back some memories, yeah. yeah.
1: Definitely. I'm having visions of the Spinal Tap movie right now.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So you mentioned there was no mobile phones then when you're on tour, so you had to kind of stop at the service station. So what other challenges did you face when you were doing international tours in those days?
0: Oh, depending on where the act came from. If you had an act from Africa, you had some uh, you had a work permit permits, uh, nightmare. And uh, if you had American acts coming over, you obviously had the Carnet uh, nightmare, which uh, some of the English acts might face uh, in parts of the world again. but. Uh, that's slowly, slowly turning in the right way with, with, for them. But in, in, in my days, yeah, we had to, uh, if you had a backlight from a, from, from a certain country, you had to export at the border uh, from that country. You had to import uh, at the border from the, the country you were entering, et cetera, et cetera. So that was really interesting because uh, not everything went well. So at, at the end of the tour, you could have your base app in Finland on paper, your drum kit in Spain, and your guitar, I in Slovenia, and I tried to f- <laughs> try to fix that at uh, at the, the Chamber of Commerce. To co- most of the times, uh, the head of uh, the boss of the backline company going there with a box of cigars and a bottle of Jack Daniels.
1: <laughs> so lots of kit went missing in those days. Then on paper
0: only on paper because of the okay. canals, you know, like uh, yeah. if you forgot to export it from Greece, then on paper it was still in Greece.
1: So, lots of uh, and confusing paperwork to fill out in those days. Yeah, it was uh,
0: challenging times.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully, it's a little bit easier now.
0: Um, Absolutely.
1: So, you you talked about um, bringing bands who'd never been uh, to Holland before when you first started. So, what was it like kind of working in the Dutch music industry and how do you think it differs uh, to the rest of Europe?
0: Well, those days it was. uh, um, gateway to europe i mean it was a you know a really good testing ground for new 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 acts high 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 standard club circuit good uh, hospitality great uh, uh, pas and, and crew uh a very curious uh audience so yeah that was a, a great country to uh, start and end a tour and uh, uh you know get your production from so yeah that's but, you know, we, we did mainly European tours. We also were, that's promoter for, for that shows only, but I would say 80, 90% of what we did was, was international.
1: So, yeah, you've uh, definitely got a huge global knowledge of the, of the industry then. So when you mentioned that you worked for Music Exports and uh, Boomer Culture and other things. So what did you move on to next after running the agency?
0: Um, I started working for Boomer Culture in 2002, I think. Um, yeah, that's what basically we started with. Um, with that, we started the European Talent Exchange Program (ETEP). Started working on international promotion. Started working on uh, the conference and started working on investigating on how to set up a uh, uh, efficient uh, export mechanism for Dutch talent.
1: So you mentioned ETEP then. So um, yeah. I know you were one of the kind of key players in putting that together. So tell me a bit more about that and how that's developed over the years.
0: Well, um, at a certain point, I, I worked a lot with Peter Smith and we sort of from Boomer Culture and uh, was also the founder of your of, of Sonic Motorsport. And um, we sort of uh, had the possibility to run the program of ETEP and Brussels was in, uh, interested to invest money in that. And obviously, that would be really like a a marriage in heaven with the the goals and and the system systematics of of, of Eurosonic. And we thought it was a really cool one plus one is three program to uh, get all the larger buyers, promoters, festivals in Europe to come to our platform, see the stars of tomorrow book them at the festivals, and in this way, one, have all, all the larger festivals attending your event, and secondly, have results for the artists that play at your event, which one, and one is three. So basically, that's what we did. It's I mean, it's a stimulation and a, a visibility program in, in, in many ways, uh, and it really, really works, because basically, if you're in the top 20 of, of ETAP uh, in a non-corona world, <laughs> Um, then you really have, uh, your career takes off. It's that simple. So yeah, I'm very happy and very proud of that.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Cause you also did a, a separate version of that with CTEP to support the uh, Eastern European and Central Eastern European countries too, didn't you?
0: Yeah, the the almost forgotten, but proudest little program I ever did. No. I don't think many people remember it, but um, and, and it's not so long ago. I think we ended it in a, a focus on 14 countries at, in 2016 at Eurosonic, which was quite a challenge. Nobody ever did a focus on 14 countries before, as, I, as far as I know. Um, yeah, that, I mean, CETA was basically. We, we realized that there was a lot of interest and a lot of potential in uh, of the Central Eastern European countries, which is basically basically uh, the Baltics to the Balkans. And we, so we started working together with all those countries, and especially uh, to get an exit festival on. Uh, first of all, found the right partners per country, which was basically meant festivals and their media partners make a database of the most promi- promising exit per year and let all the festivals in the 14 countries select the artists uh, from another country on their festival in this year out of that database. and. Uh, Top, the most booked acts from per year were then offered to slot at Eurosonic. We did that for five years with You Get an Exit. We did training programs for the representatives of all those acts at uh, Exit Festival. Um, I think it went really, really well. It was on a shoestring budget, it was amazing. And we uh, sort of ended it uh, with, with a focus at uh, Eurosonic of all those countries. Um, and then closed closed the program because the subsidy ran out, the period was over and we all felt now Central and Eastern Europe is done. It's now part of Europe. And I think if you look back and you see at the developments of uh, the music industry in all those markets, since uh, 2016 has been remarkable. And I think CTAP played a role in that.
1: No, definitely. You should be hugely proud of that. You know, those markets have hugely moved forward since then. You know, you gave a lot of the artists and the territories and events in those countries, you know, huge lift and extra exposure. And also, I suppose, more working together of those different markets, you know, with each other and also integrating them into the actual European ETEP. I mean, now when we go to Eurosonic, there'll be amazing acts from, you know, Slovenia, Hungary you know even in the Music Moves Europe Awards now there's often a band that's made the or an artist that's made the final selection from the Ukraine you know or Hungary you know uh, I think there's one from Armenia this year so yeah, you know it's, it's really great. branching out
0: and if you see like like how the national markets in the music industry uh, develop, most of them now have export offices showcase events um you know, they have, have dedicated people working hard to, to uh, uh, do what they can to increase the possibilities for the talent in their markets. It's amazing. It's, uh, you know, sometimes people forget that it is one-third of Europe population-wise, and there's a huge potential, um, and there's so much business we can all do there if we uh, make it a fair in-and-out system. No,
1: it's definitely. Still a long way to
0: go, but, uh, you know, yeah. Getting there.
1: No, but it's a great achievement that you're involved in that. So definitely congratulations there.
0: Well, you were involved in that as well, Nikki.
1: I know I was, but, you know, it was your project. You know, I'm just happy to be involved. So, yeah, it, it was it was an amazing thing to see, you know, and obviously we got to work with some amazing people. You know, there's some great, talented people in those regions. Yeah. Um And I guess other places we worked together is when you uh, you mentioned music exports there, and obviously you did a lot with the Dutch music export. And yeah. we've had quite a few adventures uh, going to places with Dutch music artists. If you think, you know, we've been to CO Pop in Cologne reaper barn in hamburg
0: i mama yeah Ema.
1: we've been to lots of kind of fun places together promoting the yeah. acts, and i love being part of that with you because you know obviously we have a lot of fun as well but you know it's great to learn about the different music scenes isn't it in those countries and what works and what doesn't and making kind of new contacts so you know how did you get involved in that
0: well i think uh as an ex-agent, I had, a, I had and have a large network. I mean, the, the, the folks I started working with when in the uh, mid-80s are still my friends and uh, most of them are you know, experienced veterans, uh, leaders, directors, owners. And most of them are still in the industry and very active and they're all we're still, we're still good friends. That never changed whoever we're working for or whoever bought us or sold us or whatever. And that's obviously, you know, that's quite unique in the industry. We, I mean, the music industry is not so old and, and, and we is 50, 50 plus years old. We started 40 years ago. So we're sort of, you know, we, we grew up together in this, uh, industry. So that makes my work as an, as an, uh, 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 exporting artists a little easier because, you know, if I was an and when I was an agent I said, this is fucking awesome, this is a really cool band, check it out. You know, that's something I could sort of use in my export capacity as well.
1: Yeah, well, you definitely have an enviable black book of contacts, don't you?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that is personal, you know, you can mm. e- even take my whole whole contact book, but that doesn't make any difference. It, it is a personal relationship and the trust you have among, amongst each other.
1: No, it's and, true. And,
0: yeah. you know the, the the fun fun part of of doing something like and i'm, I'm most proud of what we did with the Dutch impact parties um, you know there was hard work and bring bringing them from nothing to 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 rampact in a couple of years was quite an achievement and um you know things changed they 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 decided not to do that anymore but uh in the time frame we worked on it, it i think it was uh, was pretty damn successful
1: I agree, definitely the parties at Molotov.
0: <laughs> but also at IMC, I mean that was hard work to get yes. those folks uh, uh, to attend, you know
1: that's true. I think people don't realize that even if a venue is next door, trying to persuade someone to be bothered to come and check out a band and hang out is really difficult. Yeah, you know, but obviously using your connections and and the trust and respect you build over the years really does work. So yeah, you know, it, it just like, takes uh, time.
0: I mean it it was a really good window uh, for, for Exit showcase, and it was a great place for everybody else to network and hang and uh, that's if true. you combine the two, I think you have, a, you, have a, you have a good formula
1: well, exactly because everyone knows they can meet all of Rude's contacts there, so it's the best networking place ever
0: <laughs> well that's your your words, but yeah uh,
1: it was fun. <laughs> or normally it's the backstage bar at Eurosonic where Rude has the bag of tokens. <laughs>
0: That's another one, but there wasn't that was sort of, you know, especially for the internationals, really interesting. One, one they needed a the space when all of Dutch bands were playing because they felt kind of lost. So, you know, have your coat have something to drink, something, something some snacks and have the opportunity to uh, use that as your home base to check out the Dutch bands playing in the evening
1: totally so many fun memories of that backstage bar um i do miss the real tokens though there's something quite fun about actual real tokens it doesn't quite feel the same just topping up your wristband does it you know
0: no it <laughs> makes it, it make, instead of making it easier it makes it more complicated yeah. it's much
1: more fun saying rude can i have some more tokens <laughs> than just kind of like Topping up my wristband.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, some people really loved it, some people didn't. So there you go. That's the reality of life.
1: Yeah, let's go back to the old school. Let's go back to tokens. (laughs) So you talked about your network and contacts, and obviously you also put together a lot of the panel program for Eurosonic. So how do you kind of go about that? Because obviously you've got to get new speakers all the time, make sure your topics are always on trend. So how do you go about doing that every year?
0: Well, I don't do that alone, obviously. Uh, there's a whole team and there's a whole whole, whole bunch of people who suggest, advise, comment, criticize. Uh, it's also, it depends on, you know, I'm a, I, I, I work as, an, as a freelancer for all my clients. I'm an independent business, uh, uh, so it, it also depends on what they want me to uh, program and what they want me to organize. Um, For the rest, I try to be a a really good mirror of what's relevant, what's going on and what needs to be discussed. Uh, I think it's, um, you know, complaining or uh, just talking about problems has its own value, but I think it's more valuable if you talk about solutions uh, in a positive and optimistic way, uh, really try to change something. And I think that's something which I'm proud of that I can, I I think it's important to have Certain issues like like this year's uh, sustainability and recovery, um, but also many more like gender and uh, diversity and uh, mental health and all those issues. Um, I, I think um, that that is something which is crucial in the in the agenda, and that that just needs a gut feeling, a good network, and a lot of listening and reading and talking. Uh, you know, I make lists on my phone the whole year through uh you know what i think might might be you know you have long-term subjects you have short-term uh, subjects you have to be very dynamic flexible and you have to be able to change stuff last minute which obviously is very relevant for the last two years that like you have to be able to change stuff last minute
1: Totally. I mean, a huge achievement for, you know, managing a second year of digital uh, panels and conferences and discussions. You know, obviously everyone was hugely disappointed. So we all can't wait for 2023 to actually, yeah, same
0: here. you know, so the second year in a row that we have, you know, four or five weeks before the, the, the start of the event. We had to change it all again from going to uh, from either f- from a physical to a digital event, which is I mean, you basically start from scratch.
1: And Holland seemed to have some of the strictest rules during the pandemic as well.
0: Especially this year, yeah, yeah, yeah that was tough. But yeah, I think uh, you know, I think we, we was both digital editions. Uh, we learned stuff we, we didn't want to learn, I guess, because life, in my book, life is the opposite of digital. Um, but that's still, it's it's it's, it's very valuable lessons learned, and I think. Uh, uh, given the circumstances, we, we, we can be proud of the product and, and, and the content we, uh, we, we presented for, to everybody.
1: Oh, definitely. And you mentioned before about being um, having to be flexible and adaptable. So as you said, you've learned a lot from doing that. And I guess in your life as a freelancer, you also have to be flexible and adaptable. So what would an average day kind of be like for you then?
0: Well, that really depends on um, the month in the week. Um I already started with EuroSonic uh, uh, uh twenty three. Obviously I did that already half a year ago, you know, like uh yeah as I said long term short term um and, and some windows don't open until uh, a certain edition or if you had a certain year and some some keynote speakers or important topics you sometimes have to wait. Um it's uh depending on the year is either running for 12 hours a day and, and sometimes it's um it's a lot of reading, communicating, talking. Um, and in the old days, between pre-Corona, it was a lot of traveling to, do, uh, to keep your network going, to pick up uh, interesting topics, speakers, subjects, uh, ideas, goes, no goes, um, meet new people. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, it, it is eighty uh, percent word, email, Excel uh, systems
1: the joys of google docs
0: oh bloody hell
1: yeah <laughs> all fed up with those but you know i like what you said about you know a lot of it in person so hopefully this year we'll get back to those hanging out together you know yeah, that be lovely. Of, you know l- late night bar chats um yeah. you know
0: not one and a half meter distance
1: yeah oh yeah that's true so yeah I, th- I think this year I'm definitely going to accept as many offers I can to go to places just to see people and just get back out there because as you say you really do miss that in-person conversation brainstorming ideas so yeah really looking forward to that too So, what do, hopefully- you, what do you think
0: Nikki will, will, will everything go back to the same crazy scheduling we did because I don't think so. I think people will be more careful what they do, where they go. I think people will decide to do not all, but some people will decide to do less. And I think more and more will also look at alternative ways of traveling instead of only flying.
1: definitely I mean obviously we all need to work and get back out there but you know at the moment in the UK I'm not sure about Europe there's this huge energy crisis and you do worry that you know you do think will that affect people's ability to go out to our events and travel and enjoy themselves so you're right maybe they will pick and choose and maybe pick one or two big events they'll go to and as you know there's been a lot of talk of bringing back the local scenes and the local clubs to help those scenes so we'll people support those more instead of going to events i mean who knows i mean it'll take the next year i think to pan out to see if people's behavior has changed
0: yeah i think uh yeah uh, everything always changes but i think like the the world we live in now and the societal choices we have uh, i think that uh, things will change more than we think
1: I mean, I would always love to travel by train more on Eurostar, but every time I look, it's probably three or four times more expensive than flying. So yeah. I would, so I, I would, you know, pick a flight and then pay the carbon offset, uh, which is a real shame. So I wish they would improve those costs, and then you know we can come to Eurosonic and all the festivals in in Holland, you know, and Europe via the Eurostar. I would love to see that
0: yeah I, I mean that's another discussion make you know tax a kerosene uh, make flying more expensive at a realistic price and use the tax from kerosene to to uh, improve uh, the the train system in Europe. It's not rocket science, but uh, it's a decision uh, uh, and uh, so far they haven't really made it
1: yeah, unfortunately, that issue is bigger than us, but I suppose we can try and do our bit yeah. we'll keep we'll keep lobbying we we will try <laughs> of course so um is there a moment in your career that you're most proud of, do you think? I know you mentioned CTEP, but maybe anything else?
0: No, not really. It's, <laughs> um, oh, I mean, so many great memories, you know? Like, um, I remember one party at the sea where we were, uh, which was extremely, extremely good. But uh, there are many of the, those stories and also sad stories and failures. And no, I don't have a, um, well, wow, maybe I think I was very proud when I saw how my boy worked at, uh, at the conference uh, in in 2020 and how uh, how he developed. And uh, so, yeah, I'm proud of my boy.
1: Oh, no, he did really well, actually. So it'll be interesting to watch out where he's going to go next and what he's going to achieve.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we'll,
1: we'll be keeping an eye on him. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so I mentioned at the start that you were someone who inspired me and helped me in my career, you know, and I'm really grateful for that, you know, and, and as we said before, it's great that in our industry, colleagues can become friends and it is part of our kind of, you know, music industry family, which is lovely. So did you have a mentor or someone in the industry who inspired you in your career?
0: Well, I'm a bit of a lonely wolf, but I have I have a, you know, a network of people I really trust and respect and uh, I consider family, even before we had this family, festival family of music industry family, because that's something which is only like maybe seven, eight, ten, nine, ten years old, that we really started to care more mm-hmm. about each other, because it is a very individual uh, uh, industry. Um, folks I learned a lot from, um, many, uh, Alan McGowan, also Moncletary, who is sort of my second conscience, and... Uh, Uh, Peter Smith, who uh, I brainstormed so much with uh, that both our heads were hurting Um, you, uh, you know, everybody in uh, Greg Parmley, everybody in your world where you work a lot with and where you have open, frank, sometimes tough discussions or exchanges of ideas or minds or Uh, I mean, in the life industry, that can be quite hard with each other. We're always very direct, very open, very straightforward. But that is how you really learn.
1: So it's nice that you have a good network of people and that you've still got people you can talk to today, which is really nice.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I'm really enjoying this. It's so much fun. Because <laughs> <laughs> often we see each other, and you have a few little deep chats, but you have to then run off somewhere and do something. So it's like I actually yeah, yeah. Your mind, your, your mind happens.
0: is always halfway somewhere else. Yeah. You know, even if you have, you know, don't forget this, don't forget that. I still have to do that, and uh, I have to kick somebody's ass because he's not doing that. <laughs>
1: It's probably why it takes so long for everyone to get to know each other, because you see each other at different events, have a few drinks, have a little conversation, then you have to move on. And then each time you see each other, you get a little bit deeper, you know a bit more about each other. And that's kind of really nice to see how how those friendships and relationships kind of develop, isn't it?
0: you know like like we have uh, uh that's also from the last few years that we really have this, this this more personal app groups you know and that we really keep track of each other and that we care and that we worry and that we try to help and uh i think that's really good that's really important
1: no that's really good I, I like what you said there that it's still important to kind of help each other in the industry and you know we've all been in the whatsapp groups and supporting each other so you know hopefully yeah. that will continue so what projects are you currently working on what's next for you?
0: Well, I'm, I'm working with uh, with Jonas from uh, Westfield Lab on uh, on what we're going to do in April in uh, in Qimari, in Portugal. Um, let's see what's going to happen in Romania. I'm not really sure yet uh, because it's still still like in some markets there is, there uh, there's not much possible. So it depends on the you know, developments. I'm working on, on 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 a couple of new things. Um, for the rest, it's uh, started working obviously on IFF in uh, in September in London, which we're very lucky to be able to organ- organize live live last year in September. Um, and it, I think like this year will be a massive, massive addition. And uh, as I said, I'm already working on, on Eurosonic next year. I also decided not to do too many things at the same time and uh, focus a little bit more on quality and, and in de- and depth of, uh, uh, of what I do instead of, uh, you know, like to fifteen years before the uh, uh, before Corona uh, was quite intense and hectic, and um, I think sometimes it's more important to take a step back and do stuff really well.
1: I think you're right because you kind of touched on it before in what you said that people are thinking about what they're doing and, you know, we can't help everyone. I mean, you're probably like me, you know, you get lots of people saying, can you help me with this project and that project? And I would love to help everybody, but then it's like, would I be able to do a good job on everything? And I don't have enough time. So I guess you're right. Maybe the pandemic makes us reflect on looking after ourselves as well, thinking we can't keep going at this pace and stress levels forever. So,
0: and I don't want to either, you know, it's a, there's a momentum, a moment for everything. Now I think like like the last two years were were really interesting also in in reflection. Yeah. And I think a lot of folks will make a different choice.
1: Yeah. Well, we still love working with you. So don't go anywhere yet.
0: You no, know, no, the... I, I have no place to go anyway i'm
1: not done yet <laughs> well we know you still have a lot to give so i look forward to working with you on exciting projects in the future so thank you so much for your time today and I uh, hope to see you soon
0: thank you nikki hope to see you really soon take care <laughs> bye bye you've been listening to meet me backstage Make sure you subscribe for more conversations with backstage stars working behind the scenes in the music industry around the world.